It's time for this week's edition of the Virtual Bible Study. The Virtual Bible Study is a live, internet-only call-in program dedicated to the honest study and discussion of God's Word. Do you have a question about something in the Bible? Or are you simply interested in learning more about the Scriptures? If so, we hope you'll stay tuned tonight as we look into the pages of God's Word. The Virtual Bible Study is brought to you this time each week by the College View Church of Christ in Columbia, Tennessee. You can participate in the discussion tonight by calling 93 or by emailing your questions or comments from collegeview.com. We hope you'll take out your Bibles and study along with us as we begin an exciting study of God's Word on this edition of the Virtual Bible Study. And we welcome you in to the Virtual Bible Study for Thursday, August 27, October 27, 2011. Thank you for being a part of the program on this Thursday evening. We welcome your comments at 877-381-4567, questions at collegeview.com. If you're watching us live on the program tonight, to the right of your video video window is a chat room. We would encourage your comments there. Uh, Father Greg Gwynn joins me tonight. Welcome to the program, Dan. Is that my headset breaking in and out, or is that the... I don't think it's breaking in and out, but it's awful awful loud tonight, a little bit, yeah. There it goes, maybe that's better. Uh, great to be with you, Jacob, on the Virtual Bible Study. As always, we look forward to our discussion and uh, hope that we can discuss some things that will be helpful and informative. Um, and as you said, we want participation from our listeners. We think it makes our program the best when we get a lot of participation by those who are listening. The easiest way to participate is via the chat room, but we also are monitoring emails throughout the program. The email address is questions at collegeview.com. And we can take a phone call. Uh, it is toll free. Yeah, and so uh, that number is 877-381-4567 if you want to call and be on the program. Uh, we got a lot of ways for you to participate, and we look forward to your participation. We think we've got a good topic tonight. <laughs> yeah, you know, I don't know that we've ever talked about this before. Uh, in fact, I'm sure we haven't talked about it before on the virtual Bible study. Uh, we want to talk about near-death experience. Is, is that what happens when people listen to the virtual Bible study? I hope not. Oh. But, uh, th- this uh, th- this topic was generated in my thinking uh, by virtue of a conversation I had earlier this week with a former neighbor of mine. I ran into him, and he was telling me about some things that had happened. He had not had what he called a near-death experience, but a friend of his had. A friend of his, he said, died, was dead for eight minutes. Wow, that's amazing. And when he came back, he reported having seen a bright light, having received a message from Jesus, and he told my neighbor, he told my former neighbor, certain things that Jesus said he should be doing. The neighbor should be doing. Yeah. So, so Jesus, so he was sort of a courier of this message to your neighbor. Yeah, yeah. That's amazing. So, and, and of course, my neighbor had bought into it uh, completely. He believed it absolutely to be so. So, uh, uh, got me thinking along the lines of near-death experiences. It's become quite a popular thing, Jacob. I hear that it is. Um, um some of you may have heard of a book called Heaven is for Real. It's written by a guy named, a guy named Todd Burpo, uh, who's a Baptist preacher, I think, in Iowa uh, or Nebraska. I'm not sure where it was. But anyway, his four-year-old son, Colton, uh, ha- had a burst appendix and uh, apparently was very near death. Well, when he came back from that, when he recovered, he began to tell his parents things that he had seen. While he was in this near-death state, he claimed to have gone to heaven, sat on Jesus' lap. Uh, He saw a sibling who had died. His mother had miscarried. He didn't even know about this, supposedly. It's time for this week's... 
his his uh, his mother had miscarried, and he spoke to that infant that he had never known. Wow. He saw his, he saw and spoke to his great grandfather. Everybody had wings. His great grandfather had great big wings. Wow. Uh, his wings were smaller because he was a little guy. He said, but I mean, yeah, you had, to have bigger wings if you're bigger. Yeah, uh, this was, in fact, uh, going back earlier this year, I, I, I watched a video clip on the internet. Uh, these people were interviewed on the Today Show by Matt Lauer, and it's just, it's, it's a it's a bestseller. Uh, 1.5 million copies of Heaven Is for Real are out there uh, that that people are reading. And I've even heard, Jacob, of some some members of the Church of Christ who have apparently bought into this and are really taken by this book, Heaven is for Real. Okay. So it's a topic worthy of discussion, I hope. All right. Uh, that is interesting. We want to ask some questions tonight, and you posed those questions earlier this afternoon. Yeah, to our update list earlier today, and we always remind you, if you're not getting the updates, you can by sending us a message to questions at collegeview.com. And just tell us in the subject line, add me to the list. We'll do that. We send out our update on Thursdays, usually about midday. We let you know what our topic's going to be and ask you some questions to start thinking about. We also encourage you, if you want to, to start sending us responses even before the program begins, and we'll include them in the discussion uh, as we go along. Uh, The questions we sent out today were these. Question one, list Bible characters who died but came back to life. Wow. Uh, and uh, having compiled your list, I think I've got. I think I've got a thorough list. We'll see. But a- after you've compiled your list, consider: is there anything common to all of those appearances, uh, all those o- occurrences of people who died and came back to life? Okay, that's question one. Yeah. Question two: What is the proper definition of death? Can that's... death be? Can death, real death, can it be reversed without a miracle? Okay. Question three. What scriptural arguments can be made relative to the claims of near-death experiences to prove them to be either true or false? Now, if you take the view that they're true, give us your argument for the scriptures that prove that, that people have such experiences. If you think they're false, what are your arguments? Question four. What explanations might be offered for the common traits of many near-death experiences? We're going to talk here in a minute, Jake, about the fact that people who have these experiences all report some very similar things, like they saw a bright light or they were going down a hallway or a tunnel toward a bright light and mm-hmm. so forth. There, there's some common traits of, of these near-death experiences. How do you explain those? And then finally, what does the Bible teach about things that happen after a person dies? When, what, what should we be anticipating at the time we die? What will happen to us? Okay. And the Bible gives us some information on that. We'll talk about it. All right, uh, we're going to take your thoughts and your comments tonight, 877-381-4567, questions at collegeview.com, as we talk about near-death experiences. Well, you know, it, it, there are people who have had real-death experiences in the Bible. Well, yeah, but before we go to that, I want to I compile that list, Jacob, and see what we can come up with as a list of people who died. But uh, uh, here, I, I had some, some uh, quotes. This was from uh, uh, an article by Amy Genova said, uh, according to a recent Gallup poll, and this is rather dated, but according to a recent Gallup poll... So eight, not so recent a Gallup poll. Maybe not real recent, but according to a Gallup poll... <laughs> at one point in time. Uh, at one point in time, eight to nine million Americans have reported strikingly similar mystical experiences while temporarily dead or on the verge of death. 
They describe a sense of peace and inexpressible joy. Many are reunited with loved ones who have died before them and encounter a, quote, being of light who radiates pure love and acceptance. While most people yearn to remain with this light forever, they are sent back to life to fulfill certain responsibilities. Mm. Scientists have termed this extraordinary journey a, quote, near-death experience, and they, they, they uh, abbreviate that by NDE, near-death experience, NDE. NDE. Although, the, although the experience varies somewhat from person to person, it is consistently recounted as joyful and profoundly real. The Gallup poll further indicated that near-death experiences can happen to anyone, it found no relationship between the occurrences of near-death experience and a person's age, sex, race, occupation, education, area of residence, or significantly his prior religious beliefs or practices. That's interesting. While a religious person might interpret his experience differently than an atheist, the experience itself remained consistent. Hmm. How about that? Yeah. So uh, that's some information on these near-death experiences that people are reporting. But now... The scriptures do talk about people who died yeah, and some who came back from death. I would say their experience wasn't near death. It was really death. Yeah, real death. Uh, and it was I all the way death. I don't see anybody. I, I asked you to compile a list. And I, nobody sent me their list of people that they believe had died. Mm. Uh, so let me give you my list. I think it's thorough. If it's not, you, you, you all can add to it. Uh, here's what I've got. 1 Kings 17, beginning verse 17, Elijah revived a young child. 2 Kings 4, verse 32, Elisha brought back the son of the Shunammite woman. And yeah. he traveled five or six hours to get there. He was so, good so, so the, the child was quite dead. 2 Kings 13, beginning verse 20, a dead man came to life when he contacted Elisha's bones. You remember he was thrown into a tomb? And when his body touched the bones of Elisha, where Elisha had been buried in that tomb, he came back to life. So I got those three occurrences from the Old Testament. In the New Testament, John 11, beginning verse 1, Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead. That might be one of the best known. Luke 7, beginning verse 11, the son of the widow of Nain, Jesus raised from the dead. Right. Luke 8, beginning verse 41, Jairus' daughter, mm-hmm. Jesus raised from the dead. Acts 9, beginning verse 36, Peter raised Tabitha, or Dorcas. Another name for her was Dorcas. Yes. Acts 20, beginning verse 9, Paul revived Eutychus, who fell out of the window while Paul was preaching, yes, if you did. remember. Mm-hmm. Uh, then, in, in an occurrence that I have no explanation for, I've always wondered, Matthew 27, beginning verse 52, some who came from out from the graves at the time of Jesus' death. You remember that? I mean, it's, yeah. just a, it's a very uh, sort of passing reference passing reference with no explanation. And, and a lot of people ask questions about that and what became of those people who came forth from the graves. Uh, the Bible just doesn't tell us. Can you think of any others, Jacob? Did you mention Lazarus? Yeah. You did mention Lazarus. Well, I, I don't think of any others. I, don't I think. think of a primary one. That oh, Jesus. Jesus, well, Jesus I'm sorry. Christ. That was a trick question. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Jesus was raised from the dead. Now, I think that's a, I think that's a complete list. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. I got ten on my list. If anybody in the chat room or any by email, if you can think of any other man, the chat, the chat room, room is, is having quiet. a near-death experience yeah, right now. Yeah, it's dead quiet in the chat room right now. 
Uh, if you can think of any others, by all means, uh, let us know. I, I, I find those ten. Now, what I asked by way of question was, what do we see, if anything, that is common in all of those occurrences? That I, You get the idea that there are several of them. The Bible speaks quite a bit about people who died and came back from the dead. They yes. were really dead by... By inspiration of the Holy Spirit, we confirm their death. This is not this is not a subjective thing in which someone says, "Well, maybe they weren't really dead." Right. The Holy Spirit says they were dead. Yeah, I, yeah, we got to take His word on it. So, what can, can you think of anything in common? I know a lot of the times that people thought that they, their body was decaying by the time they were resurrected. Yeah, you know, in the of case that, of Lazarus, you know, yeah. he'd been dead four days already. They said, of course, they and, didn't they didn't embalm anybody, and and his sisters said. By now he stinketh. And it only okay. takes a few hours for a human body to begin to decay to the point of giving off an odor. And after four days, it would have been significant. And Je- you know, in Jesus' time, the women were coming to prevent that a little bit with, uh, with know, the spices. spices yeah. Yeah. i tell you what I think is, is the single commonality of all the events that we just recorded from the Bible. That is that none of them ever talked about that anything is. they saw or experienced. Yeah. In that state, mm. isn't that interesting? Even yeah. Jesus, Jesus didn't talk about uh, what what went on during the time of his death. But 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 they obviously had to have experienced something being dead. I mean, they would have uh, they would have seen what was on the other side. Certainly, well, Jesus obviously did because he went to he went to Hades. Yeah, but Jesus didn't talk about what he right. saw in Hades right. or did in Hades. Right. Now we have the rest. We're going to talk about it later in the program. Luke 16. We have the picture of Hades. With the rich man Lazarus, yeah. in Luke 16, we have the story of the rich man Lazarus and what they experienced after they did. They, they didn't come back from the dead, though. They didn't come back talking about what they saw. None of them ever spoke about their experiences. In fact, there's something interesting. In, look in 2 Corinthians. In 2 Corinthians chapter 12, do you remember Paul talked about an experience that he had? He says in 2 Corinthians 12, verse 2, I knew a man in Christ yeah. about 14 years ago, whether in the body I cannot tell or whether out of the body I cannot tell, God knoweth. Such a one was caught up to the third heaven. The typical explanation of the third heaven is you got you got the heaven where the birds fly. All right, that's one you got saying. the heaven where the stars are. Yeah. The third heaven is typically explained here to be a reference to the spirit realm. Right. Okay, so Paul says he was caught up into the third heaven. He says, I knew such a man. He's talking about himself. Right. He doesn't want to be. I knew such a man, whether in the body or out of the body, I cannot tell. God knoweth how he was caught up into paradise. There, oh, where was he? He was in Hades. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Caught up into paradise and heard unspeakable words, which it's not lawful for a man to utter. Paul said, you can't talk about the things that are seen there. Yeah. Paul said he, he experienced something real, but he when he when he came back from it, he couldn't relate the things he wow. said it's not lawful for a man to talk about such things yeah so uh now how do we contrast that with the people who are having these near-death experiences and they're all talking about it yeah this kid this four-year-old kid he's made a million he's he's sold a million and a half copies of a book heaven is for real if he made just a dollar a book he's made a million and a half dollars and so people are talking it may not be lawful but if it's real it sure is profitable yeah and so people are people are really buying into this, and they're talking about it. And, of course, everybody who has one of these kinds of experiences wants to tell the story. And as we read earlier, there's there's a lot of commonality. They all talk about having similar instances. Uh, 
Uh, uh, Raymond Moody and Elizabeth Ross wrote a book called Life After Life. Okay. They researched 150 cases of people who claimed to have had near-death experiences. Yeah. None were identical, but they did they did catalog 15 recurring components of these experiences. In other words, none were totally identical, but they, they found 15 things that recurred as they interviewed these 150 people who had had near-death experiences. Of the 150, every one of them had at least eight of these similarities. None, none of them had more than 12 matching similarities, but all of them had at least eight similar things. So you take 150 people, who claim to have had near-death experiences, and they all have seen, in the experiences, there are at least eight things that they all had in common, which I think is incredible. Uh, there's got to be some explanation of that. So, All right. We'll, we'll talk about that. We'll talk about but that. But what's interesting, Jacob, every experience was happy, joyful, and comforting. <laughs> Among the 150, some were Christian, some were Jewish, some were Buddhist, and some were Muslim. So if it's pleasant... And they all had happy, joyful, and comforting experiences. Now that's that flies in the face of what we we got a problem there we got to talk about. Yeah. Okay. Let's take a break, and we'll get into that on the other side of the break. We look forward to your comments. 877-381-4567. Questions at collegeu.com or in the chat room if you're listening to us live on the program tonight. Don't go anywhere. The Virtual Bible Study will continue right after this. Are you listening? There's going to be a test on this stuff. Stay tuned. The virtual Bible study will be right back after this. Hello, everyone. I'm Monty, a member of the College View Church of Christ. So you've been hearing all about the College View Church of Christ on the virtual Bible study and are interested in finding out more about the church. But you live hundreds of miles away from Columbia, Tennessee, and can't come and visit with the congregation to find out more. There's no reason to fear. After all, we live in the 21st century. Here's what you can do to find out more about the College View Church of Christ. First, why don't you check out our website while you're listening to the virtual Bible study? You'll find important information about the church there, including bulletin articles there on various subjects, and can even listen to sermons that have been presented at the College View Church in the past. Secondly, if you have questions about the church or about any Bible teaching, why don't you send an email to us and let us know how we can help? Send your questions to questions at collegeview.com. That address, once again, is questions at collegeview.com. We can even have a personal Bible study with you over email if you desire. And finally, if you would rather talk with someone in person, give us a call at 931-381-4567. That's 931-381-4567. You can call this number anytime. If you don't get an answer, leave a message and we'll call you back as soon as we can. We're glad you're listening to the virtual Bible study and hope to hear from you soon. Here are some quotes worth pondering. Martin Luther said, If I profess with the loudest voice and clearest exposition every portion of the truth of God, except precisely that little point which the world and the devil are at that moment attacking, I am not confessing Christ, however boldly I may be professing Christ. Where the battle rages, there the loyalty of the soldier is proved. Death. It's the end of excuses and the beginning of eternity. Will Rogers said, even if you're on the right track, you'll get run over if you just sit there. Man, wish I'd said that. 
We're waiting to hear from you. Call in right now and join in on the virtual Bible study. Now, back to the program. And the phone line is open as we talk about near-death experiences on the virtual Bible study tonight. Lots of similarities, as you mentioned before the break, people who have different religious backgrounds. And if we believe anything about what the Scriptures teach, the Jewish people and the Christian people could not experience Jews, Christians, Buddhists, Muslims. They could not all experience the same experience after Every experience was happy, joyful, and comforting among those who profess to be Christians, Jews, Buddhists, and Muslims. If that's the case, this person, this being that they see on the other side of, of death that is supposedly comforting them is not Jesus because Jesus was a liar if everyone is having pleasant experiences yeah. after death. Yeah, we've got a problem there. All right, we're going to talk about some of those arguments to be made for or against near-death experiences. Before we do that, Jacob, let's talk about something that pro- that's got to come into this mix and that is the proper definition of death. And that's the second question we asked to our mm, update that's list. A, that's a hard one. Uh, what is, the, you know, that's become, I guess, medically and ethically more of a problem in recent times because there are a lot of ways to artificially prolong life. You know, we can put people on machines, we keep them breathing, we keep their hearts beating. Uh, and then it becomes a question, when do you, quote, pull the plug? When do you end those artificial means to sustain life? When does a person die? You know, uh, my neighbor that I was telling you about said this guy was dead for eight minutes. That is, he wasn't breathing. Maybe his heart wasn't beating uh, for eight minutes. But then they were able to revive him. He said on the last effort, they decided to make one last effort to shock his heart back into the beating, and it worked. Mm. Well, was he dead or not? Well, you know, he said he was dead. Uh, and if your definition of death is you're not breathing and your heart's not beating, then then you could say he was dead. But I think we I think we got a better definition from the Bible. Well, you know, uh, I, I looked up death on Wikipedia, and here's what it says: determining when death has occurred requires drawing precise conceptual boundaries between life and death. This is problematic because there is little consensus on how to de- define life. And it's, it goes on, historically attempts to define the exact moment of a human's death have been problematic. Death was once defined as the cessation of heartbeat and of breathing, uh, but the development of CPR and prompt defibrillation have rendered that definition inadequate because breathing and heartbeat can sometimes be restarted. So people have struggled over, when do I know if somebody's dead? And that's, you know, the the um, the tradition of wakes. We, call it, we don't uh, use that term in the South, but up North they use the term wake. That was a practice to wait to see if somebody would come back to life because they had trouble determining if the person was really dead or not. Yeah. And so you'd have a party and maybe uh, Grandma and would set up in the <laughs> coffin and be back to life. I didn't know that's what that was for. It is. I, I, that sounds reasonable. That that's the way I understand it. Okay. I could be wrong. Anthony, is I, it true? It is true. Dan's, Dan, Dan's, on the, Dan's on the board tonight. Dan says that is right. Okay. Uh, Anthony is the only one chatting in the in the chat room. He needs somebody to talk to in there, so some of the others of you join in. But he says death is separation of spirit and body. Uh, perhaps he says not sure if medicine can really define death. Anthony says I'm lonely in the chat room. I think Anthony's right, and I think James chapter 2, verse 26 is the biblical definition of death. Uh, it says, for as the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without works is dead also. So there it gives us God's definition of death. When the spirit departs the body, then people are dead. Uh, 
medicine's not going to be able to determine that. If, if you're going to measure respiration, if you're going to measure uh, heartbeat, if you're going to measure even brain waves, science can't detect when the spirit departs the body. God knows when the spirit departs the body. And God says that's when a person is dead. All right. And now, so that's a biblical definition. Now, I don't know that that helps us. And, in, in, you know, uh, Uncle, uh, Uncle Joe, uh, you know, uh, is, is in the hospital bed, and, is, and, and he's, uh, his heart hasn't beat for the last six minutes, and, and he's not breathing, and, we're, you know, is he dead or not? I don't, I don't know that, that the biblical definition helps us in determining that point of view. From death, a medical perspective. From a medical perspective, but we know what God says is death. All right, 877-381-4567, questions at collegeview.com. That brings us to our next question then. At that point, when the spirit departs the body, can it be reversed without a miracle? I don't think it can. I don't either. Biblically, I don't believe it Go can. Go ahead, give me your thinking on it. Well, it, uh, it tells us that uh, it is pointing to man wants to die. So if I can die, come back and die again, that's... Two deaths, if my math is correct. Yeah, Hebrews 9.27 is appointed unto men once to die, but after this judgment. That's the norm. That's okay. the normal thing. That's By nature, you only die once. Mm-hmm. Now, nature can be suspended by a miracle. It has been plenty of times. Right. We, read, we read a list of ten people in the Bible, both Old and New Testament, who died by God's definition, by the Holy Spirit's inspiration. He said they were dead, but they came back to life. But those things involved miracles being performed and so it's not that no one ever died and came back from death we know that that had happened but in every occasion when it did happen it was it was a miracle being performed now we've talked before on the virtual bible study about the fact that the age of miracles has ended so could a person die today literally and really by god's definition be dead and be brought back i don't think so not according to what the scriptures teach. That'd be two deaths. Again, as you said, it would require uh, uh, cessation or a, a violation of natural law. Yeah, in the absence of miracles, I don't think anybody is experiencing true after death or near death. Maybe near death, but not after death experience. Nobody's dying and coming back from the dead, literally. Okay. All right. So that that was our second question that we threw out there to our to our update list, and we're still waiting for. For a response, we did get one response from a friend Bob up in Indianapolis. Uh, he said, "I wish I could sit in on this, as it is something I've given a lot of thought to over the past several years. Pretty much since the preacher came in my hospital room in 1990 and said, 'Are you okay? Did you see any bright lights?' <laughs> You'd have to know this preacher. I know him, and, and he would say something like that to a person who's near death." Uh, he said, this guy, I guess, Bob was near death? Yeah, he was. Okay. He said, I look at Luke 16, and there are many interesting things about that passage, the rich man and Lazarus. The Jehovah's Witnesses, of course, think that when you're dead, you just cease to exist. When they right. come to my door, and after we get past what denomination do you belong to question, which is always a lot of fun, I don't let them monopolize the conversation. I ask them to explain that passage to me. They start off by saying that it's a parable. Right. Then tell me that this is a story about some king somewhere kind of a parable stated in a way that would be confusing or hidden. I grant them that. Then I ask them to show me any other parable that is untrue in its analogy or spoken in a mystery like that. Right. Obviously, they don't want to admit that all other parables are about things that they understood, losing stuff and so forth. So if this is a parable, it had to be about something that the people understood. If they don't acknowledge that for sure... Uh, they don't want to acknowledge that for sure. So if it's not a parable, then it's surely true, and they don't want to acknowledge that either. But how could 
the hearers, those who heard Jesus talk about the rich man and Lazarus, how could they understand life after death? If they didn't understand what he was telling them, why wasn't there a big chorus of, what? Uh, <laughs> after he finished talking to them about this. The answer, of course, is that there were a number of people who'd been brought back from the real death, not just near death, and lived among them. What would be the second question that you would ask them? Probably the same thing that John asked me. I firmly believe that he was filling in some gaps in their knowledge about the dead, but that this was not by any means a completely foreign concept to them. Now, I'd have to slightly disagree with Bob there. Based upon what Paul said in 2 Corinthians 12, verses 2 through 4, I don't think people who, who died are talking about what they saw on the other side, because Paul said it's not lawful to speak of such things. So I don't think that I don't think that it was common knowledge about life beyond the grave that was obtained from people who came back from the dead and told what they saw. I, the Bible never mentions that, and and Paul said you can't speak about those things. So I, that's I, I I'd have to disagree slightly about that. Um, uh, well, anyway. he, he said, I firmly believe he was filling in some gaps in their knowledge about the dead, but that this was not, by any means, a completely foreign concept to them. Well, it's, if, he, if we heard the parable from Jesus today, it wouldn't be a completely foreign concept to us either, because we have divine, we, divinely revealed knowledge. We understand uh, knowledge that there of, is life beyond the grave. Right. Yeah. So I don't think that that theory proves that they had had those experiences back in the first century. Yeah, okay. All right. Looks like we're up against our break, Jacob. All right, let's go to a break, get this week's bullet point. When we get back, we're waiting for your we're going to response. Talk, we're going to talk about scriptural arguments relative to the claims of near-death experiences to prove them to be either true or false. All right. John has asked, answered the question of when death occurs. He says, would this be a good definition? His spirit departs, he returns to the earth, and that very day his plans perish. The 146 Psalm, verse 4. 146.4, okay, Psalm 146. And then he re- references Ecclesiastes 12, verse 7. Uh, the dust will return to the earth as it was, and the Spirit will return to God who gave it. I think that's and, a good and, definition. And I think both those passages, that's Psalms 146.4 and Ecclesiastes 12.7, I think both those would go along with uh, James 2.26, the, the body without the Spirit is dead. It's a good answer from John, but we can't give him full credit because he's late to class tonight. Okay. All right, we're going to take a break, and we'll continue on the other side. Don't go anywhere. The virtual Bible study rolls along right after this. Did you hear what they just said? Call in during this break and let everyone know what you think. The virtual Bible study continues after this announcement. This is Greg Gwynn with this week's bullet point. We readily acknowledge the importance of positive preaching. Brethren need what Romans 15 verse 4 calls the comfort of the scriptures. Paul sent Tychicus to the Ephesians so that he could comfort their hearts. Timothy was dispatched to Philippi and Thessalonica in order to comfort the brethren. Clearly, this kind of positive encouragement is essential. The Bible has much to say about it. No one denies this. There are, however, some among us who are determined to only preach positive things. They want to specialize in positive preaching and to emphasize only those things which they claim are designed to build up the hearers. They will not deal with controversial topics, and they refuse to spend time rebuking the sins and weaknesses that exist in men's lives. This positive approach fails to present the whole counsel of God that Paul mentioned in Acts 20, verse 27. And at least two serious consequences will follow. First, Christians will not be admonished to root out the evil that is in their lives. Colossians 3, 9 says we must put off the old man. And we will never become the new man that we ought to be until we have been instructed adequately in this regard. Secondly, Christians will become conditioned to only want this sort of teaching and preaching. After having a steady diet of positive emphasis, brethren will lose all tolerance for forceful preaching on important doctrinal and moral issues. 
The Apostle Paul anticipated such a scenario, and in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 3, he said, The time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but after their own lusts shall they heap to themselves teachers having itching ears. We are not at liberty to be specialists in only one aspect of the work. If we emphasize the positive while neglecting the negative, we have not done, quote, the work of an evangelist, 2 Timothy 4, verse 5. Our job involves both the positive and the negative. We are to reprove, rebuke, and exhort. That's this week's bullet point. Think about it. My name is Jack Coleman, a member of the College View Church of Christ. We're glad you're listening to the Virtual Bible Study, and we hope you'll tell others about the program. We're always open to your feedback concerning topics for discussion and suggestions as how we can make the program more effective. Drop us a line at questions at collegeview.com or call us toll-free at 877-381-4567. And whatsoever ye do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God and the Father by Him. Colossians 3:17. Now, back to the program. We welcome you back to the program tonight. We want to remind you this program is brought to you by the College View Church of Christ in Columbia, Tennessee. If you've never been to our website, visit it at thevirtualbiblestudy.com to find out more about what we believe and what we practice. We have a special series of meetings coming up uh, in a couple weeks. We'll announce that at the end of the program, but we would encourage you to check that out as well. And if you have any questions about what we believe or what we practice, give us a call or send us an email anytime. We're talking about near-death experiences on the program tonight, and we want to hear your thoughts along those lines as well. You know, we talked about the fact that it's hard to define death from a medical term or from a physical uh, perspective, but the Bible gives us a clear definition of that. We've also talked about the fact that the Bible uh, tells us very clearly that, that that experience, as God has defined it, is going to happen once for each of us, unless there's a miraculous intervention, which we believe those times are over as well. And so the idea that I could have a death, near-death experience and come back and tell about it violates that scriptural well, I guess somebody could well. quibble. I just now think, Jacob, that someone might quibble. We're saying you can't, you're not going to have an after-death experience and come back and talk about right. it. Some people, but some people might say, well... What about near death? It wasn't really dead, but I was close to it. You know, could I come back and talk about it? So somebody might quibble about that, but I don't think I don't think it's a, a feasible quibble. Now, do you think? Well, you know, well, you referenced Paul, uh, his experience in Second Corinthians chapter twelve. Do you think that was he? He didn't seem to know if he was actually dead or if he wasn't. Does no? He? But he said he did. He did say he went to paradise, so he so, he, he was in that realm of yeah. departed spirits. We'll okay. talk more about that in okay. our last segment, but. Uh, I think probably everybody who's listening is probably going to join with us and say that we just can't believe these near-death experiences are legitimate or true, although they're very popular and even people love to hear about them, read books about them and so forth. Uh, What arguments would you make, scriptural arguments, what scriptural arguments would you make to say they can't be true, at least as they are reported? I, I think the first one I would make, Jacob, is the one we've already talked about, all these people from different religious beliefs are claiming the same ex- kind of experience. Remember we said that uh, out of 150 people interviewed, some Christian, some Jewish, some Buddhist, some Muslim, of the 150, all of them had at least eight similar things to their experience, and every one of them, without exception, was happy, joyful, and comforting. So what you're going to say then, as a result of that, is if near-death experiences are in fact real, then it absolutely does not matter what you believe. Yeah, we'd have to believe in universalism. Yeah. We, we'd have to believe that everyone is saved, and therefore when everyone dies, it's a beautiful thing. Oh, yeah. Uh, and, and, of course, the Bible says that's not so. 
we got the story of the rich man Lazarus, Luke 16, that we've already referenced. We're going to talk more about it here in a minute. But one of those two guys, the rich man, did not have, what, what does it say, a joyful, happy, and comforting experience? Not from the way I read it. Not from the way. So, I mean, uh, I think the main argument against these so-called near-death experiences uh, is that they, they can't be real, they can't be legitimate, because all those people saved people, and they're not even believers in Jesus Christ. Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and life. No man cometh to the Father but by me, uh, John 14, verse 6. Uh, he said, uh, except you believe that I am he, you shall die in your sins. Uh, John 8, verse 32. So uh, That's not right. Go ahead. So what, so what you would conclude then is if near-death experiences are real, some of the people, in fact, a majority of the people would come back and say, what I saw scared me back to life. Yeah. Well, But, they, but they, they, they're saying it, it wasn't scary. It, it was beautiful. Right. So I would make that argument. Um, what, what other arguments uh, would, would you tend to make against these near-death experiences? Let us know your thoughts in the chat room tonight, or better yet, give us a call. We look forward to hearing from you. Um, I, the only reliable information, Jacob, that we can have on this subject has got to come from God's Word directly. I mean, we, we, we can't take the testimony of uninspired people and pit it against uh, the, the Word of God. I mean, whatever we're going to know and know for sure has to come from God's Word. That's true. Uh, Proverbs 3, verse 5, Trust in the Lord with all thine heart, and lean not to thine own understanding. Uh, these people are leaning on their own understanding. They're not basing their conclusions on the Word of God. Now, can we make any, uh, can we, can we make any kind of um, uh, conclusion about uh, the revelation from God having ceased, uh, that he's, uh, he's ceased his revelation to mankind, uh, and that uh, this would, in fact... Result. I mean, if if I go, well, like your neighbor friend who had a message from Jesus, uh, that, from the guy who, who was dead for eight minutes, would that uh, would that violate that principle? I think so. I mean, uh, we believe God's revelation to mankind is complete and finished. That He's not making new revelations to anybody, but but these claims are contradictory to that understanding. They're saying God is giving some messages in these means and methods. He's giving some revelation to certain select individuals. That also make God, by the way, a respecter of persons. Why would he give this information to some and not others? Right, and, uh, and you know, is he going to give me a second chance where I'm on the verge of death and I have this experience where I'm walking down this hallway and I get this message from him that I need to change the way that I live, and now I go back and I have this second chance. Again, it doesn't uh, seem to jive with the understanding we have of God's revelation. Guest 160 in the chat room references Ecclesiastes 3, verse 21. Who knows the spirits of the sons of men, which goes upward, and the spirit of the animal, which goes down to the earth? What does it mean here, upper and down to the earth? When people die, their spirit goes upward. When animals die, their spirit goes downward. It also seems to be saying that just like people have spirits, animal have, animals have spirits. No, I think it's actually teaching the opposite, although the Ecclesiastes is a very unusual book. Solomon flip-flops between speaking simply from a human perspective, right. and then he speaks from a spiritual perspective. Uh, but this I think here yeah. in chapter three seems to be where he's got those physical glasses. Yeah, but but I think he he is contrasting that uh, he's saying who knows. In other words, who's saying that? that who, who can say there's a difference between the soul of a man and the soul of an animal? Right. 
Well, we can say there's a difference because God but tells But from a physical perspective, you, yeah, yeah. Yeah, he's dead he, like Rover. He's, yeah. yeah, so in Ecclesiastes 3.21, I think Solomon is trying to pose a question as a man. Yeah. How could you say that, that the spirit of man is different than the spirit of an animal? A, a, a man couldn't do that, but by the revelation of God, we can say that we're made in the image of God and that we have an eternal spirit. And so Solomon's question there is not suggesting that... The, the, the transportive direction of animals and men. It's not saying that animals have spirits. I don't believe they do. Only men are made in the image of God, in that sense, to have an immortal spirit. All right. Uh, uh, Sharon just read that 82% of people who have who were revived did not have near-death experiences. She asked, why is that? That's uh, interesting, 82%. I, I don't know, but that obviously there's a... There's a uh, not everyone who goes through an episode where they stop breathing or their heart stops beating has these these kind of experiences. She says 82% do not, so only about 20% do. All right. Uh, John in Edmond, Oklahoma, asks if a Christian concludes that near-death experiences are real, then he must be willing to conclude that he, his understanding of the Bible is wrong. I see many Christians embrace these experiences without recognizing the consequences of the so- supposed experiences. So John says... You can't have it both ways. Yeah. Uh, John is, says he has to leave the study early. He was late getting here, and now he's leaving early. So we're going to have to we're going to have to dock his grade again. Yes, we are. He needs to have a good ex- excuse for me. All right. Just teasing, John. Glad you could be a part of the program tonight. Uh, okay. We want to go. How much time we got here? We we, we, we got are, time we... to just tease the next part of this before we go to our break. What explanations might be offered oh. for the common traits of many near-death experiences? Yeah, and Anthony chimes in. Good timing on that, Anthony. He says, even if folks are having experiences, we have no way to prove that they are spiritual. They may be nothing more than dreams, and dreams are dreams messages from the other side. Well, the Bible talks about inspired dreams. Yes, it does. But not just dreams per se are not inspired. Yeah. Uh, so and it may be. I, I, I want to talk about that. What explanation can be offered for these common traits of the near-death experiences? I, I got a, a, a pretty good document that I found on the Internet uh, from neardeath.com, and it explains, although the guy who was writing it wants to believe that these things are real, he gives some good information as, that are offered as theories as to what's actually happened to these people. We'll talk about it when we come back from our break. All right, let's take a break, and then we'll go to the top of the hour. We'll take, talk about that, and we'll also talk to you. Give us a call at 877-381-4567, questions at collegeu.com. And then before we conclude the program tonight, we've got to get into question number five is what do we know about what happens? At, you know, there's a lot of you know unknowns here, but we do know things. We ought to talk about that. Yeah. That can help us as well. Good. All right, don't go anywhere. The Virtual Bible Study will continue right after this. Have you checked out all of the resources on collegeview.com lately? Check it out now while you listen to these important messages. The Virtual Bible Study will be right back after this. Hello, my name is Trent Haynes, and I'm a member of the College View Church of Christ. In a scanning of the book of Proverbs, it provides us several reasons to discipline our children. To show you don't hate them. He who spares the rod hates his son, but he who loves him is careful to discipline him. Chapter 13, verse 24. To give them hope, discipline your son, for in that there is hope. Do not be a willing party to his death. Chapter 19, verse 18. To help them for a lifetime, train up a child in the way he should go, and when he is old he will not turn from it. Chapter 22, verse 6. To chase away foolishness, 
Folly is bound up in the heart of a child, but the rod of discipline will drive it far from him. Chapter 22, verse 15. To save his soul, do not withhold discipline from a child. If you punish him with a rod, he will not die. Punish him with a rod and save his soul from death. Chapter 23, verses 13 through 14. For your own comfort, discipline your child, and he will give you peace. He will bring delight to your soul. Chapter 29, verse 17. Parents need to read and understand these passages. So too should our children. Hello, this is Preston Jackson from Valdosta, Georgia, and you're listening to the Virtual Bible Study. Missed a recent Virtual Bible Study program? Listen to any of our past programs from the archive section of our website. Now, back to the Virtual Bible Study. Welcome back to the program tonight as we talk about near-death experiences. And David in Michigan has an interesting uh, viewpoint tonight, one I had uh, thought about. He says, I expect the bright light came, uh, came from the knowledge of Stephen or John's revelation. So this idea that uh, people see a bright light may have, they may, they may have been uh, influenced. Uh, yeah, but I wonder about some of those people, Hindus, Muslims. Uh, well, that's true. Who, who, you know, aren't familiar with what the Bible says along those lines. So. Yeah, but those who may know the story of Stephen and John, maybe they are uh, impressionable. Yeah, that's okay. a, good, a good theory, David. Let me share this with you. This is a, uh, an essay called Scientific Theories of the Near-Death Experience. Okay, so these are people who are uh, going to try and explain it from a scientific yeah, approach. Yeah, this guy who wrote this believes in near-death experiences, but he documents some of the explanations that are given that sound very reasonable to me. One theory is the dying brain theory. Uh, the neurotransmitters in the brain are shutting down and creating the same lovely illusions for all who are near death. In other words, as your brain just begins to, to shut down operations, mm -hmm. there are all kinds of things going on there, but the process is similar for everybody. And yeah. so the experience that registers is the same. Mm -hmm. Sounds reasonable to me. There's a little more information. There's a big, long essay here. Uh, uh, those who are dying secrete endorphins. Hormones, uh, endorphins are hormones which act on the central nervous system to suppress pain and which are known to create the runner's high, for instance, which happens when long-distance runners go through a pain barrier and find themselves running with ease and without tiredness and with a feeling of elation. Mm -hmm. So he says, uh, the, the, in addition to the neurotransmitters maybe beginning to shut down, also... Hormones being secreted in the dying body that cause, uh, you know, uh, a, a sense of, of euphoria. Mm -hmm. It is known that a powerful anesthetic called ketamine can produce many of the same features of a near-death experience, particularly the out-of-body element. Mm. And one theory is that a ketamine-like substance may be released by the body at the time of a near-death experience and may attach itself to certain neurotransmitter receptors and be responsible for producing the whole near-death experience by blocking those receptors. Mm. Here's uh, another. That's making me dizzy. You're talking about all those big words. Here's I'm another to, theory. I'm about to have a near-death experience. Here's another theory, the temporal lobe theory. Some features of near-death experience are known to occur in a type of epilepsy associated with damage to the temporal lobe of the brain. And researchers have found that by electrically stimulating this lobe, they can mimic some of the elements of near-death experiences such as leaving oneself behind and the sense of life memories flashing past. Wow. The stress of being near death or thinking that you are near death may in some way cause the stimulation of this lobe. Near-death experiences reported by people who suffer strokes, which affect this part of the brain, have 
or have tumors in this in this area. People have some of the same experience. They're not dying. <laughs> They're not even dying. They've got a brain tumor or something. Okay. So, so uh, another theory is the lack of oxygen. The lack of oxygen to the brain or too much carbon dioxide in the blood may cause some of these experiences. Now, think about that. All of those kind of things uh, sound really feasible, and that would give an explanation as to why a person, people from all different religious beliefs have a common experience. It's, it's biological. It's not spiritual. It's the physical body, things that are happening in the physical body that are common to all who die. That seems to make uh, uh, a lot of sense to me. Anthony. He is. Anthony's on these long words tonight. He uh, says selective serotonin reuptake inhibitors. These are what antidepressant medications. Uh, yeah. <laughs> let's, let's see. What He says comfort may be the result of neurotransmitters. Uh, serotonin, selective serotonin reuptake inhibitors. Wow. <laughs> and he says that's what antidepressant. So, uh, and by the way, Anthony is a biologist. And so okay. uh, I think the explanation, it sounds very feasible that it's not spiritual, it's physical. It's <laughs> physical things happening in the body as you are dying. And if you come back from that, obviously there may be some, in some cases, I think Sharon said that she read that less than 20% of cases, but in some cases, those who come back from being very near the point of death are going to have certain things imprinted in their mind that happened as as they were getting those neurotransmitters shut down or the endorphins being released or other things that were happening in the physical body. Not everybody and, remembers that, but some do. And, uh, and you, know, you come back from a traumatic experience like that, there's probably going to be a heightened uh, interest in spiritual things, and so maybe you may may link, make a connection there between what you've experienced and maybe uh, some spiritual things as well. Dan, uh, you got any experiences with near-death experiences or comments along the lines? Oh, not me personally. Um, however, I did have a, a family member who, who went through a similar situation um, as far as a near-death situation. She was technically dead for, for she, wasn't, she wasn't breathing or her heart wasn't beating for eight minutes at least. And um, when she finally came, came to... It took her probably about four days before she finally understood what what was going on, what happened, and within those four days, she was constantly, you know, asking you every 30 seconds, you know, where am I? What's going on? She's really confused, and and she seemed like she didn't have any kind of a, so a she, rec- she recognition of, of this. And apparently, most people don't. Yeah, but, according to Sharon, 82 percent, I think it's. But I, but you know, as we were talking during the break, Dan, I think there's some tendency of people to want to get on this bandwagon. Well, that sounds right. like a cool thing. I, I wish I could tell about something neat like that that happened to me. You know, and so that I, I, there's there's some sense of I'd like to have something to talk about too, kind of thing. Right. Dan, use the Dan cam. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Sorry, okay, forgot uh, the Dan cam. <laughs> the man behind the curtain. I mentioned earlier this book by. Raymond Moody and Elizabeth Ross, Life After Life, and they're the ones who, who cataloged the 15 recurring components of these experiences, and that in every case of the people they interviewed, they had at least eight of these common things happen yeah. to them. But yeah. note, here's something else they said. There was a culture, this is from Moody and Ross, there was a cultural stamp to the visions. Most Americans saw loved ones. Most Indians saw religious figures. Religion determined the identity of the figure. No uh-huh. Christian patient saw a Hindu deity. No Hindu saw Jesus. Oh, uh-huh. isn't that interesting? So that's something that was in the mind already that, yeah. that's coming to play. 
Yeah, influence uh, as you're going through this process. Oh, that's interesting. Okay, so it does seem to have a physical component. Yeah, I think it is physically explained. Uh, and and I, I, for, for that reason, and be, for the reason we've already said, first of all, unless you believe in universalism, they can't be true. Secondly, they can't be true uh, because God's not given any latter-day revelations. Yeah. And so we got to, and there must be some explanation because there's just so many occurrences and so much commonality in the experiences. I believe the explanation has got to be uh, uh, a, a physical phenomenon taking place in the in a dying body. All right, then uh, this brings up the next question. And what does the Bible teach about what will happen after a person dies? Not a near-death experience, but an all-the-way death experience. What happens? Okay, what happens? Well, the best information that we've got on that has got to be Luke 16. We referenced that. Uh, a couple of times already, but let's turn over to Luke chapter 16. You remember the story of the rich man and Lazarus, Luke 16, beginning verse 19. Let's see if i got time to read. Yeah, let me read this real quick. There was a certain rich man which was clothed in purple and fine linen and fared sumptuously every day. And there was a certain beggar named Lazarus which was laid at his gate full of sores and desiring to be fed with the crumbs which fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, the dogs came and licked his sores. And it came to pass that the beggar died and was carried by the angels into Abraham's bosom. The rich man also died and was buried. And in hell, that should this is King James, that should be Hades. Mm-hmm. Uh, in Hades, he lifted up his eyes, being in torments, and seeth Abraham afar off and Lazarus in his bosom. And he cried and said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus, that he may dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am tormented in this flame. But Abraham said, Son, remember that thou in thy lifetime receivest thy good things, and likewise Lazarus evil things, but now he is comforted, and thou art tormented. And besides all this, between us and you there is a great gulf fixed, so that they that would come so that they which would pass from hence to you cannot, neither can they pass to us that would come from thence. Then he said, I pray thee therefore, Father, that thou wouldest send him to my father's house, for I have five brethren that he may testify to them, lest they also come into this place of torment. Abraham said to him, They have Moses and the prophets. Let them hear them. And he said, Nay, Father Abraham, but if one went to them from the dead, they will repent. And he said to him, If they hear not Moses and the prophets, neither will they be persuaded, though one rose from the dead. Yeah. But that's the familiar story, the rich man and Lazarus. A couple of things, well, several things that we learned from that. And again, I would go to the to the email that Bob sent us. You know, the Jehovah's Witnesses like to discount that as just a parable. You know, it doesn't say it's a parable. Uh, there's several things unique about this that are different from any other parable that Jesus told, if this is, in fact, a parable. One of the things, for instance, is that we have a man's name. A man is named in this, Lazarus. That's not yeah. true in any other parable. I, yeah. But whether it's a parable or not, was Jesus telling the truth or was he lying? Yeah. I think it's a true story, but even if it's a parable, I believe he's telling us what happens when one dies. When we die, when the spirit departs the body, back to our biblical definition of death. That happens once. The body returns to the earth, to the elements from which it is composed. The spirit goes to Hades. Hades is the realm of departed spirits. It's where they go to await the final resurrection. Jesus said the hour is coming in that all which are in the grave shall come forth. This is John chapter 5, verse 28. 28. The hour is coming in which all that are in the grave shall uh, hear his voice and shall come forth, they that have done good unto the resurrection of life, and they that have done evil to the resurrection of damnation. So there's a future resurrection coming. Everybody that's yep. died throughout all the course of history is going to be resurrected. Uh, and so until that happens, the spirits of those people 
are in Hades. Revelation chapter 20, verse 13 tells us that because there's going to be a time in which hell or Hades, as it should have been translated, will give up the dead that are in it. So Hades is this, this holding place, if you will. It is where Jesus went in Acts chapter 2, verse 31, where it says his soul was not left in hell or Hades. That's, again, King James says hell should be Hades. Jesus was in Hades. Remember, he told the thief on the cross, right. this day thou shalt be with me in paradise. Right. Okay. So, again, that's, uh, from these accounts, we learned that uh, when we die, we don't go to, directly to heaven, we don't go directly to hell, we go to Hades. To wait until the resurrection. Now, some people say, man, won't that be long and boring? Well, I think on uh, time, we human mortal humans on earth measure things by time. I don't think uh, in the spirit realm things are measured by time. It does change the way that we view things after death, and maybe some of the things that are commonly heard at funerals or even in some of our pulpits today or in a lot of songs that we sing. Yeah. Uh, it changes the, the, the way we view what happens to our loved ones after death. In, in Hades, there's two places, obviously. There's a place of comfort. That's where Lazarus went. The beggar Lazarus went to a place of comfort called Abraham's bosom. Jesus referred to it as paradise when he told the thief on the cross, this day shalt thou be with me in paradise. But there's a place of torment there. Uh, the rich man was in such agony. He wanted just a drip of water to be placed on his tongue. He was in such terrible torment. Now, how does that jive with all these people who have near-death experiences? And every one of them is is wonderful, beautiful, comforting, joyous, happy, Uh that doesn't, that doesn't jive, it, it, because we know that some who die, in fact, we'd have to argue that the majority who die will not experience a place of comfort. They'll experience a place of torment, like yeah. the rich man did. And so, uh, again, we know some of what's going to happen is, is, is still a, a, a great unknown. At, at what will happen when we go on, leave this life behind? I mean, I think that's, a, that's a, an intriguing thing to think about. And I've spoken to some faithful Christians before who were very sick, and it was clear that they weren't going to live much longer. And they even talked about how interesting it is to think what will happen when we pass over. Yeah, it, should, it shouldn't be a fearful thing. No, it should, it should be a company thing. Yeah, it should be a joyful thing to think about. And uh, Guest 160 said there was a lady dying in the hospital, a member of the church, who said she saw angels by her bedside just before she died. Maybe she was wanting to believe that angels would be there so badly that her mind and whatever medications she was on maybe caused hallucinations made her think she saw angels. I think that's a good explanation. All right, um, and uh, uh, David uh, says Hades is like a holding cell. Well, it is. Uh, other than the fact, a holding cell has sort of a negative connotation, perhaps, and there is a negative connotation to Hades, but there's a positive side to it as well. And so, and Anthony uh, again uh, says in the chat room, chemicals can clearly make us think and feel things that are not real. Uh, no doubt, the brain can produce similar chemicals on its own. So uh, I think that's true. All right. Well, we've had a good discussion tonight. We, uh, Before we conclude, we do need to remind about uh, what's going to be coming up here the week after next. Yeah, uh, November 6th through 11th. We've got a gospel meeting here at uh, College View. November 6th is a Sunday. We'll, ha- uh, we'll have our normal morning services, uh, but in the afternoon we'll have a singing at 2.30 and preaching at 3.00. Uh, then through the week, we'll be meeting at 7 o'clock, different speakers each evening. All of them, we we told them all, bring your best sermon. So oh, this is going to be a good week. Yeah. And uh, we've, we've been talking, Jacob, and we'll announce this for sure next week, but we think we might stream those services, those weeknight services. We That'd might stream over Ustream yeah. for those who want to listen. Yeah, to so watch. our listeners uh, from other areas could, uh, could listen to those uh, or view those services. If you're unable to attend, we'll work on that and make sure that we can do that. We'll let you know for sure 
uh, next week. But regardless of the fact of whether or not we stream or not, Thursday night following the meeting, we will be having the virtual Bible study in a, in a, with a live audience. And our speaker, our, our speaker that night who will join us for the virtual Bible study will be Donnie Rader. Some of our listeners know of Donnie Rader. He's a good preacher, and he's going to join us on the virtual Bible study. And his topic that night is going to be, is one church as good as another? And then we're going to use that theme to discuss okay. during our virtual that Bible study. That was going to be my next question. What are we going to talk about with him? And uh, that gives us one week between now and then. What are we going to talk about uh, during that program? I don't know. We'll come up with something. You tell us what you'd like to talk about. We might make that our topic Yeah, next week. we'd love to have your comments. Uh, send them in, the questions at College View, if you have uh, any kind of topic or question that you'd like to have discussed on the virtual Bible study tonight. Dan, great job behind the controls. Appreciate your time. Dad, thank you for your time as well. Thanks, Jacob. And thank you for listening to the program. We hope you benefited from our study and discussion of God's Word. We hope you make plans to be back here next week for another edition of the Virtual Bible Study. And in the meantime, we encourage you to put God first in your life, study His inspired Word, the Bible, and live by it every day. You'll never regret it. Thanks for listening to the Virtual Bible Study, brought to you by the College View Church of Christ. The College View Church of Christ meets at 1618 Hampshire Pike in Columbia, Tennessee. If you are in the Columbia, Tennessee area, we encourage you to worship with the College View Church of Christ on Sunday mornings at 9.30 and on Sunday evenings at 6 o'clock. The College View Church of Christ also welcomes you to attend their Wednesday night Bible studies at 7 o'clock. If you have any questions about something that was said on tonight's broadcast or would like more information about the College View Church of Christ, please call 931-381-4567. That number again, 931-381-4567. Or for more information on the internet, visit collegeview.com. Be sure to tune into the virtual Bible study this time next Thursday for another informative study of God's Word.